Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, All-Star Break. So we have a very special episode for you guys today. We are joined by Brendan Clean, the fantastic host of the Locked On Suns podcast, to talk about everything DeAndre Aiden and the possibility, Alex, of him potentially becoming a New York Knick this summer. Yeah, things are a little frosty between the Suns and Aiden after they paid a lot of people this past offseason but did not offer Aiton a rookie extension. So we asked Brendan about what the status is of the team and Aiton, how he's been playing this year, which the answer is pretty pretty well, but you know maybe with a, a little bit of struggles thanks to injuries and stuff and not being able to stay on the court as much as you might like. We talk about what it might take to pry him away, some scenarios in which the Knicks might be able to entice the Suns into uh, making a deal, a sign-and-trade for him. And all kinds of other great stuff, DeAndre Ayton related, right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes! Up, up, up. Now fires it. And he's fouled. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. Uh, we hope if you haven't yet, you are tuning in on YouTube. It is one of the many platforms we are on, and you can see our beautiful faces, and those include myself, Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster, my co-host, Alex Wolf, the fantastic editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website out there. And as promised, we are joined by Brendan Clean, the host of the Locked On Suns podcast. And Brendan, uh, we're having you on to talk about one DeAndre Ayton because uh, Alex and I have have fantasies of DeAndre Ayton one time or at some point being a New York Nick, and you are here to uh, either crush those or provide maybe a very small glimmer of hope, but we can only start in one place. Uh, it, I assume it has something to do with him being a restricted free agent, but why do you think the Suns and DeAndre Ayton were unable to reach a deal? And it seems like the, the main crux of that was that the Suns were unwilling to offer him a max extension. Yeah, well, you're bringing me back to the bad days before the season. Uh, I don't, I don't appreciate that. We've been living in the in the glory of the winning, but no, it was obviously like. it was obviously the single most uh, important storyline basketball wise heading into the season for this team. There were meetings allegedly between DeAndre Ayton and the owner Robert Sarver pre pre deadline. There, there was a lot of media chatter about it. There were probably obviously uh, negotiations going on, but it did not happen. They did come to terms with Mikhail Bridges and Landry Shamit, so it's not as if they were just saying no to all of it. So it does bring about the question, why did it not happen? And to bring myself back to that time, there were differences in terms of how the explanation was given out, depending on who was talking. Uh, James Jones, as far as we know... The final word, which was in an interview with Sam Amick at The Athletic, was that Aiton 
the Suns did not want to give Aiton the max now in some part because they were worried about the rule that the NBA has regarding the number of max extensions off of a rookie contract that any one team can have, which is two. Devin Booker is already on one of those, and it would prevent them from the potential of acquiring a second one. Now, if that sounds convoluted, it's because it is. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless you have a specific target in mind. There's very few of those players around the league. Most of them are not available to be traded for. So the end, I guess, point is we don't exactly have a lot of clarity. There is an expectation that they will have all the intention in the world to renegotiate again come restricted free agency, depending on what happens this season. But very strange to not come to terms. He was one of the only number one picks in history to not get it done. And now it's just kind of looming over this whole thing. Yeah, it's sort of interesting, too. I, I'd have to go check like CBA FAQ or something, but I'm, I'm fairly certain that that rule, too, only applies to Rose Rule extensions, which are like the, the rookie maxes that are handed out where you get an extra percentage of the cap for reaching certain milestones. Like uh, I think it's, you have to have like two all-star appearances or an all NBA or yeah. something like that under your belt. So like Luka yeah, Dante. and Booker's was not one of those. So yeah, yeah, you, you could totally be right. I don't, again, the, the semantics of it were already in question when Jones said that, I don't yeah. know the rule like the back of my hand either, but um, either way, unless you have a trade ready to go, who are you? You're just kind of like imagining that you're going to get a guy like that, which is a hard thing to do. It's easier said than done. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that he went on the record saying that. Yeah. It's just, I I just wanted to point that because it just seems bizarre. It seems like a weird, I mean, it seems like a, just sort of a a cop out answer to me. And I guess, you know, we're talking about this, we're talking about whether things sound convoluted or if James Jones is, you know, blowing smoke here or whatever. But I guess that leads to the question, what do you think DeAndre Ayton's relationship is like with the front office and ownership at this point? You know, obviously you mentioned like it's pretty rare for a number one pick to not get that extension inked and, you know, end up back with his team. Especially, I mean, they were so close to winning the finals last year. Like everything's going right for this team. So I I don't know, you know, even if the, the rationale was, oh, we're keeping the door open for bigger moves or whatever. It's like, well you know, now we see how they're playing this year and you're like, well, what bigger moves did you think were going to be there? Your team was in the finals last year and like looked really, really good. Like it wasn't, it didn't seem like a fluke to me. Um, You know, you've got mostly young players and then an aging Chris Paul who seemingly is not getting any older ever. Um, So it's like, you know, and they handed out a ton of money this past off season too, to your point with Bridges, with Paul, uh, with Shamit, you know, all these different guys, they did, you know, hand out contract extensions like crazy. So do you think that Aiton is feeling, you know, like what's the, what's the scuttlebutt, I guess. And I mean, some of this probably hasn't really surfaced since the off season and like right before the season when they didn't sign him, but what's sort of been the vibe around Aiton with Mm -hmm. management and ownership at this point? Yeah, it's been quiet since, as you can imagine, they just really have the, the task at hand. They got oh so close to last summer and they've been honestly admirably focused on that and not a lot has really swayed them. The Robert Sarver investigation being the other really big story that hit them right as the season was going to start. And I think his relationship with ownership, I don't know. It's hard to say. I think his relationship with the front office, it's good. I mean, James Jones has been the GM or at least in the front office since the day they drafted DeAndre Ayton. They've put a lot of resources. They've had sort of a big man coach on staff 
every season with the intention of working with him. They've all always made it a point to have other big man depth around him. So I think he feels, I would guess he feels pretty empowered in terms of the, the resources being put into making sure he's the best player that he can be. That said, I mean, his time here has always been tough because everyone will remember the 2018 draft. The Suns have Luka Doncic's national team head coach as their head coach. Half the fans here wanted Luka, half the fans here wanted Aiton. It was incredibly uh, toxic, you could even say, and he has carried that. He, he references it often. I think that is a chip on his shoulder that he went number one in such a loaded draft, such a hotly contested draft with you know, what we could guess will be in Trey Young and Luka Doncic, potential like Hall of Fame level players who went after him. So he has always had the doubt about him. And that has led, I think, to him being a pretty externally motivated dude. Like he is a guy who um, really derives that drive from, honestly, circumstances like this. So I would say right now, the response that he's had is to let himself answer the questions of why did you not get a contract? What was the deal? Are you a max player? Will you live up to that? He's had a little bit of an up and down season, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But um, Chris Paul said at the end of last year with those contract extensions looming with his own contract status in, in question and campaign was another guy they had to resign. Like we, if we win, things will take care of themselves. That happened for every single person besides DeAndre. So it is fair to to wonder how it's affecting his his you know connection right now with everybody, but it hasn't affected his play and it hasn't really come up publicly. So I guess for now we have to assume everything's kosher, and when the negotiations start, you know his feelings might get brought up again, and, and that'll be a, a conversation for that day. All right, guys, we are going to take a quick break with Brendan, but when we come back, we will tell you what DeAndre Ayton's ceiling is as a player, a fascinating conversation that you will not want to miss. But first, we have to tell you about prize picks. All right, NBA fans, are you looking for a daily fantasy option for the NBA? Then you need to try the award-winning app, Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and we know you will too. It is super easy to use. You can pick two to five players in an over-under on their projections. You can win up to 10 times on any entry, and it's just you versus the projected numbers. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Prize Picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals. You use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Prize Picks offers a variety of options. You can, you can take any prop you can think of from points scored to rebounds, even steals. Prize Picks allows mixed sport entries so you can go with uh hopefully tonight the over on steph curry three-pointers or maybe those steph curry three-pointers being more than i don't know uh chris Kreider shots on goal and prize picks doesn't just offer nba bets they have options on college basketball football nfl mlb soccer mma and many more so for a limited time prize picks has an exclusive no-brainer of an offer for all of our users users get 50 dollars for free if a player in your first prize picks entry scores a single point but you must use code nba that's right this is an exclusive offer available to locked on fans sign up today and use code nba 50 dollars for free if a player in your first prize picks entry scores a single point well, Brendan, you know this. Uh, the Suns are, are pretty easily my second favorite team. I went to college in the area, covered the team for a couple of years. I was I was vociferously arguing to draft Luka Doncic. So you're welcome, DeAndre Ayton, for for turning you into a, a two way monster. Um, but to your point, I, I do. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how 
his game has evolved or hear from you how his game has evolved this year, because just from a statistical standpoint, he seems like essentially an identical player to last season and pretty much identical to how he's always been. Like he's, he's had a career high in field goal percentage, but it's only one percentage point up from last season, um, scoring pretty much the same rebounding, pretty much the same blocking shots at a slightly lower rate, fouling also at a slightly lower rate. Like it just sort of seems like he is who he is, which is, and, and, and to be clear, the Suns in the entire NBA saw the value of that in, in last year's postseason, right? He, he became um, some, a center that you couldn't play off the court and was a real problem for teams that tried to go small against him, and particularly in that Clippers series that was obviously a very significant deal for the Suns, and it's one of the greater assets you could have in the NBA right now because those guys uh, do not grow on trees, and there, there's a reason why he was the number one pick. Um, but where are you at in terms of his game? Are you sort of disappointed that like he hasn't taken that next step forward and become – an offensive focal point, or is it more of a situation where on a team with Chris Paul and Devin Booker, he does exactly what he needs to do and he does so extremely well? Well, that's what complicates the whole thing is the idea last season was for Aiton to compromise, to, to sacrifice, right? Like I think he went into his rookie season, got all the shots in the world. I mean, that's still, I believe his career high in, in points per game was, uh, the I guess it was his second season, but his first season was about what he was, what he's at this year, and both were significantly higher than last season. So last season he goes in, he's you know Chris Paul, we're gonna you know commit to being. They wanted to be a top ten defense, that was the big thing last year, and he was obviously going to have to be a big part of that. The Suns wanted to really run that system on offense to a T, which means he's rolling to the basket, not getting a lot of post ups, and the idea was, hey, if we win, like I said, Chris Paul. Put, put out into the world like if we win everybody will get uh will get compensated he he literally said i think at one point like we're going to get deandre his bag and that was how it was going to happen fast forward to this year the extension doesn't happen his season i mean to be honest with you i think his season this year has been largely marked by not being available for one reason or another he at the very beginning of the 18 game win streak that they went on in the fall he misses some time Frank Kaminsky was actually the starter for the beginning of that streak and Aiton comes back eventually but then gets COVID like everybody in the NBA seemed to misses I think a couple of weeks with that and then most recently went down again in a game against the Indiana Pacers last month with another ankle injury which has been a, a problem throughout his career and he missed more time another couple of weeks he's back now but it's not he hasn't been able to get that rhythm so i think yes you're totally right it's a very strange career for him where the numbers are basically identical every single season his efficiency's gotten better since chris paul got there but other than that most things have stayed static the one thing though that i think you do see aside from what we saw in the playoffs last year where his rebounding went to another level his energy went to another level his defense went to another level is that he has become, at least statistically, when you go on, you know, on-off net rating and, and those types of numbers, he has started to become more of a positive in the past couple of seasons. Like when he is out there, they tend to play better. That was not always the case, even, um, you know, as recently as last season. And it's impressive, especially because they actually have backup centers this year, whereas last year they went small when he was off the floor. They didn't really even have another real traditional center. So it's hard to find the real areas where he's grown, but it's hard to also blame that on him because most of where he's grown has been what he's been asked to do. And, and it's really been a result of 
know, we're trying to win and here's how, you know, fit in or, or, or fit out. And, and he has fit in. So you'd think he should be rewarded for that. And again, he wasn't. What do you, uh, you know, to piggyback on that, what do you think his ceiling is as a player? You know, you, you mentioned that he's, he seems to have in some ways sort of plateaued, but he's just is sort of refining the aspects of his game that he does well and finding ways to, you know, like you said, contribute better to winning, you know, and play the role that he's asked to play in a way that helps the Suns win more basketball games. That might result in some stuff sort of being, I don't want to say hidden, but, you know, like in in his stats not popping off the page quite as much, even if his his impact on winning is is becoming greater um, you know, from a Knicks perspective, like I look at him and I'm like, people have, and you know, I know that this is extremely lofty, but like coming out of the draft, like people were saying, oh, this kid might be like the next Patrick Ewing. And while I don't see that, David Robinson, you know, that was another one. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and I'm sure a lot of, I'm sure a lot of Knicks fans would be like, Phew. and I'd be like, you know, you're right. Like, cause Patrick Ewing at his best was like uh, an alpha. I mean, he was like the Knicks offense through the 1990s and stuff, but there are certain things in, in Aiton's game that sort of mimic how Ewing would play, especially on offense where he has this like pretty reliable mid-range shot that he shoots about 50% on, uh, which, you know, is a huge difference maker for someone say like a Mitchell Robinson that the Knicks have that can't space the floor that extra little bit uh, inside the arc and, you know, shoot that 15 footer or whatever is pretty much only restricted to shooting right around the rim uh, but also on defense, I mean, it seems like his impact is also very different from like a Robinson in that he's not gathering, you know, half a dozen stocks every game, um, you know, and impacting the game that way, but is really just serving as like the ultimate deterrent around the rim and making people too scared to even enter the lane against him. So I, I guess all that is to say, you know, just more framing of what you said about his game already, but what do you think his ceiling looks like? Do you think that he's roughly going to be who he is? at this point for the rest of his career, like, do you think he's reached a relative peak like physically and, you know, in his game, or do you think it's still too soon to say that? Way too soon to say that. I mean, he is 23. He hasn't had that opportunity to necessarily do some of those things, which is, you know, I guess it's the downside to like the Suns have been all about bringing in since James Jones took over as GM, bringing in, competent players to aid the development of their young guys, right? And the next, a good example of that too, right? It's like, you can't let terrible, undeveloped young players get better if there's no system or structure for them to do that. So that's the downside though, right? Is you don't, you know, DeAndre, you can't just toss the ball into him in the post 10 times a game because that's not what the system is. So I think you're seeing kind of the pros and cons of that approach, with regard to where he could go, I'm going to give some comps that I've evolved through over time. And it's going to come off as weird to some people probably listening, because as you just said, and as I think anyone who watches this guy closely will be able to acknowledge, like he is a complete unicorn in terms of, I don't remember players that impacted the game the way that he does really hardly ever. So some of the comps aren't going to be perfect, but think of it in terms of value, like the way that he's impacting the game, the amount of impact that he's having a game, the val- the value that he has to his team. So when he was coming to the league, a lot of the, the smart draft people, maybe I was biased because they agreed with me that I was a little down on him, but the comp that I really glommed onto at that point was he's going to impact winning the same way that Andre Drummond is, which is to say maybe not that much. 
But blew that out of the water relatively quickly, I think. He flashed some much more, you know, defensive acumen. I think that was the main thing. Then going into last playoffs, you know, thinking about his contract a little bit, I was talking about guys like Miles Turner, guys like Brooke Lopez, who little bit of skill on offense, but mostly their impact is going to come on defense. I know Brooke has had a little bit of an evolution, but I think what he did in last year's postseason changed that yet again. Like I think you would put him markedly higher than both of those players who aren't making all that much money. They're making like 15 to $20 million each. Aiton's past that now. What he's done this year is started to add a little bit more to that offensive repertoire. There were moments in the fall when he did come back during that win streak, again, 18 games, everybody was talking about the Suns, where he was starting to become a little bit of a playmaker on the short roll, a guy who could catch the ball at the free throw line and either pass out to a shooter or he was starting to show like, hey, I can take a couple of dribbles and get to the basket. I can be, you know, Suns fans were going crazy comparing him to Amari Stoudemire, the signature kind of catch the ball at the top of the key area, take a couple dribbles and just smash a dunk. Like he was showing some of that. Hasn't done it quite as much since COVID and then the second ankle injury. But we have seen those skills develop for him. He starts to put the ball on the floor more and more over the past two seasons. So what you're left with is an elite, in my opinion, defensive player, somebody who in the playoffs probably value shows even higher, who takes his energy and intensity up to another level. And I think playing hard is a skill. And then who is starting to show that they could be more on offense, maybe not as a post player, but at the very least as a like versatile pick and roll offensive weapon. And you can tell me if you know of a player who fits all of that in the ways that he does, who doesn't block shots and doesn't create steals and whatever, but still has that impact on defense and is a little bit skilled on offense. I don't have a great one, but that's basically what he is now. And I think when you compare, when you, when you add in the fact that he's won so much, I do think he he probably is a max player or just shy of one, but the market's going to dictate that he probably will be a max player. Uh, why why doesn't he shoot more than uh, three free throws a game, and and never has at any point throughout? Another his reason why he is a complete weirdo to talk about. I don't know. He doesn't embrace contact. That's the reason. He he takes floaters and layups instead of you know embracing the contact and and dunking the ball. He. He rarely has ever felt like a player who was physically imposing. Even when I was talking about those moments last year in the postseason when he took his energy up a level, that that still didn't really mean that he was, you know, smacking into Nikola Jokic on the offensive end to draw fouls and get to the free throw line like he's, you know, Joel Embiid or somebody. It's never been his game. And I think he has to change that if he's going to become somebody who can score 20 for you, who can be a shot creator. You can't be seven feet tall and have the ball in your hands as often as maybe he would like to or, or eventually could and not get to the free throw line because he's a good free throw shooter too. So it's something you should want to take advantage of. He just has not done it. And uh, it's it's confounding. I don't know. We all talk about it. Everybody on that team, I'm sure, knows it. And he just has not uh, gotten over the hump to, to become that type of guy. All right. We're going to get into more with Brendan in just a second. Like what it might take for the Knicks to get a deal done for DeAndre Ayton this summer. But I just got to let you all know, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired head coach is going to land. Ooh, <laughs> can you think of one on the Knicks that might you might want to bet on? BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. 
And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to the Olympic coverage and information. Head to the website today, BetOnline.net, and get uh, on your mobile device and learn about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. So it would be, we'd probably be remiss if we didn't bring up the the Chris Paul factor. Um, you know, I think a lot of the good that has happened for the Suns in the last, you know, year plus has been attributed rightfully to Paul and, and also, you know, rightfully to many of the players that have developed. You know, I think Booker's gotten considerably better. Aiton, you know, clearly has refined his game as we've been talking about. Bridges has gotten so much better. So, you know, and, you know, finding guys like uh, uh, like campaign, you know, it's like, of course, that's going to help the team, too. But Chris Paul has been uh, obviously a really good influence for everybody on the Suns. But probably you could argue as is throughout his whole career has a, you know, a, a big impact on the big men on the team, which would include Aiton. So if Aiton would end up on the Knicks, who will just say have a <laughs> troubling uh point guard situation uh the guy who's rotting on your bench right now was the Knicks starter for like all of last year uh, and, and and we didn't depreciate him enough let's just say that <laughs> yeah and, and they now have the corpse of Kemba Walker at point guard they have Alec Burks who shoots 30 percent at the rim playing point guard down the stretch I caught you guys on an awful day after that Nets game I feel like oh, we yeah. should have talked like a week ago, and you guys might have been in better spirits. I'm no. just the fact that Alfred Payton is on the team I covered is like depressing you guys. I'm sorry. No, I mean, look, man, the Knicks, like, they've lost, like, I don't even know the count anymore. It's like 13 out of their last 15. So we've been in this hole for about a month now. Don't okay. worry. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, at any rate, you know, the Knicks point guard situation is certainly not the Suns point guard situation. So, yes. Do you think that not playing with a an elite point guard like a Chris Paul, which maybe the Knicks can make some headway to solve that situation this offseason as well. It might be a little difficult to do both a DeAndre Ayton and a point guard solution, uh, but we'll see how that all goes. But, you know, assuming that the Knicks still have a lackluster uh, showing at that position, do you think that that would affect how Ayton plays and yeah. perhaps affect his value to a team if he doesn't have that really good point guard play there? I think you want to have a baseline of point guard play, but I also think the teams who would be real, realistically targeting him, whether it's the Knicks or, you know, people have talked about the Pistons, uh, you wouldn't be targeting him if you didn't think you were going to win. And if you're going to think you're going to win, you probably have some talent around him. So I don't worry about that too much. I don't think it needs to be somebody at the level of Chris Paul, you know, how many of those are there in NBA history, let alone in the NBA. So it would be, unfair to say that Aiton could only, you know, excel if he has somebody that great around him. Um, I think he's a better player than DeAndre Jordan. I think he's a more versatile player than DeAndre Jordan. So if people have that in their mind, I think, you know, don't, (laughs) but he was good. Relatively speaking, when Ricky Rubio was his point guard also, like that was the year when he really began to take a leap. He had the suspension that season, but when he came back, and, and then, of course, he came back shortly before the hiatus. But he started to really break out around January, February of that season prior to the, the shutdown. And he's not exactly the same player 
as he was then, but I think, you know, he's done the same things that he was doing back then, just, you know, more polished and at a higher level and more consistently. And then obviously doing it in the playoffs is another level of proof, but I don't think he needs to have Chris Paul there. I think he could have somebody as good as Rubio or fill in with like the league league average type of point guard guy. And I think you're going to get a pretty good version of DeAndre Ayton. Now I know this, the Knicks don't really have even that level right now with Kemba, but um, you know, it wouldn't need to be like, let's get an all-star point guard if we're going to want to sign DeAndre. And I think, I think he could be something pretty impressive with the, you know, that, that Rubio type. So uh, what, what's the scenario where DeAndre Ayton's not on the Suns next year? Because usually even, even when these kind of situations get tenuous, they, they ultimately get resolved, right? Most teams do yes. not give up on their number one pick when the number one pick by and large has been fantastic for them. So is there, is there a world where he is not a Sun next year? I think there's two scenarios in which he wouldn't be on this team next season. I think the first one is way more likely than the second one. The first one is to circle back to the sort of strange comments that James Jones made is that they find a trade that blows them out of the water and makes them feel comfortable moving on from him and keeping the roster building going with a better player or a better fit, whatever they might think. A lot of Suns fans were kind of googly eyed at the idea of Pascal Siakam when this all was happening in the fall. I, he's not a center. So, you know, I think he fits really well with how they play, but they would have to figure a lot of things out. It's, it's that type of thing though. It's, can you get a player who is equivalent to, or a little better than Aiton in a trade? And that would probably be a sign in trade with Aiton getting some sort of big deal anyway, but it just wouldn't be the Suns ultimately paying it to him. The other scenario, a lot less likely, is Robert Sarver, if he still owns the team, which I tend to think he still will, this investigation doesn't seem like it will result in his departure from the franchise, then he just cheaps out. And that's happened over time. It's never really happened to a player as high profile as DeAndre Ayton. You know, there's, I think that, that, that narrative has gotten fairly exaggerated just because it happened once in a high profile way with Joe Johnson a long, long, long time ago. Um, but that's a fair possibility because we also have to talk about a Cam Johnson extension for the Suns who has really, really developed this season. They have to pay him. They've already paid Bridges. They've already paid Paul. They've gotten pretty lucky with some of their deals where they're not committed to a ton of long-term money for, you know, they have some some ways to get out of Chris Paul and not all of it's guaranteed. Same thing for Cameron Payne. Jay Crowder's only on the books one more season. Dario Saric only on the books for one more season. So they're not screwed with their cap situation to the point where you would worry about something like that. But Suns fans do have that fear that, you know, this owner has not shown a willingness to spend to the ultimate heights that the Clippers or the Warriors are doing. So that's the other one. I don't think, I mean, it would be a complete, I mean, it would be a scandal if he if if Sarver just like turned up his nose and just said no thank you and they lost him for nothing. That would be atrocious. But eh, I guess it's I guess it's somewhat of a possibility that they would just sort of have to dump him, do a do a smaller sign and trade just because they're you know behind the eight ball on that thing. But I, I think it would more likely be they find a star and they use it as as the crown jewel of the trade to go get one. Interesting. Yeah, it is certainly it's. 
I mean, considering, you know, you said that they, they do have a way to sort of get out of Chris Paul, you know, earlier. Or, or, you know, I think at this point you could pretty much – you could trade Chris Paul wherever you want. But it is intriguing. Like, you have Devin Booker on a max extension. You have – or at least close to a max extension. Uh, you have Chris Paul making the amount that he's making. Uh, like, if you sign Aiton to a max then or something close to it, you're pretty much guaranteed to be in the luxury tax then. Yeah, they they would absolutely be in the luxury tax. And yeah. the other part I didn't mention is, if Booker makes an All NBA team this season, he's up. He could theoretically be up for an extension, and um, that would be, I think it's this summer. That would be, you know, a lot bigger. He is on a max right now. To answer your question, it's just mm-hmm. an older one, so it's not yeah. that big. But his third contract here is is going to start to be one of those crazy, you know, superstar deals that we hear about all the time. That start to make their teams have some regret eventually just because of how huge they are. And that would be another factor. Yeah, they're going to be in the luxury tax if they pay DeAndre Ayton. They might be in the luxury tax if they don't pay Ayton and they just pay Cam Johnson. They don't have a lot of, of room under that. And that's the thing that happens when you start to win NBA championships. So mm-hmm. Suns fans aren't going to have any sympathy for, for Sarver. But, you know, those things do play a part. I mean, they obviously do. We know that. So right. to, oh, go ahead, Gavin. Go ahead. No, I think we're going to ask maybe maybe about the same question, mm-hmm. but in a hypothetical, I guess maybe a double sign and trader or just a sign and trade with the Knicks, who would be the intriguing pieces in New York that would be that equivalent? I mean, RJ Barrett's sort of the obvious name, but do- obviously doesn't fill that center spot. He would be another wing, and, and the Suns already have a lot of talent at the wing spot. Um, we would posit Mitchell Robinson. That would obviously not be fair. Return for DeAndre Aiden, unless it was just a scenario where the Suns absolutely did not want to pay him, and, and the Knicks were the team that he agreed to sign with, but. Um, Brandon, what, what is your, what is your take on what the New York Knicks could offer the Suns for uh, DeAndre Aiden? It's hard because, you know, I, I don't, I don't hate if the Suns were to get a couple of these promising young players from the Knicks. Like, I think there's talent there quickly Toppin, Barrett, like, you know, one or, or multiple of those guys picks, etc. It's not an insane package, but the Suns want to win championships, right? If they're going to lose Aiton, they wouldn't be doing so by saying like, okay, we're tanking 2023. They they were, they would still have Booker and Bridges and Paul and, and the rest of this championship core. So that's the problem. Like is even if you got quickly top in and Barrett, is that trio going to get you closer to a title and, and replace or at least expand upon some of the things that Aiton does to help you be right back where you want to be. I mean, maybe, but I don't think you would go into negotiations feeling like that's your preference. You probably would want to keep Aiton if that was like the best offer available. So maybe the Knicks are rooting for the, you know, ownership cheaps out or the Suns just go a different direction option because that seems like, and that's the case for a lot of the teams. That's what's so strange about his free agency is the Pistons or the Spurs or the obvious teams that have cap space, I guess Portland maybe could could get there too now that they made all of their moves. Well, all those teams are, I guess Portland we don't know, but a lot of those teams are either still building and mostly are young or just outright like coming off of tanks, So like the Pistons. So there isn't like a contending team that really has the space or interest that we know of right now. So that's part of what's so fascinating. Is there going to be a market – would there be any sort of trade interest? But maybe that results in the Suns being able to get him for less than a max if there's not enough there. Or, you know, maybe he just goes and signs one knowing that it's going to get matched anyway. And it's just, it's it's very strange because there are so few suitors. 
Well, I can tell you right now, if it does come down to just the dollars and cents, James Dolan hasn't had to pay luxury tax in a few years, and he'd probably be more than willing to dip back into the coffers again of the of the Cablevision and MSG, uh, uh, you know, trust fund to pay a DeAndre Ayton if the opportunity arose. Uh, but Brendan, I think we've I think we've more or less covered this uh, as far as we can at this point, unless. You had anything that you were curious about from us. Uh, did you want to let everybody know where to find all your work and all that good stuff? Yes, at BrendanClean14 on Twitter. You can check out Locked on Suns as we get closer to free agency to monitor everything DA. And uh, that's that's where all my work lives. Thanks for having me on, guys. It was a fun show. Yeah. Brandon, are the, are the Suns going to win the title this year? I need, I need some hope in my life. I am not. I'm not psychologically in a place to answer that question. I'm sorry. Okay. I was uh, the <laughs> amount of confidence that I had after Game Two of the NBA Finals last year. I'm not allowing myself to go back to that place. So the answer is no until they lift the trophy. <laughs> All right, uh, that is a good perspective. That is a perspective that Knicks fans should be very familiar with. Uh, Brendan Clean, uh, thank you so much. Fantastic work. Uh, everyone should go check Brendan out, especially if you're like me and you, you desperately you need a West Coast success story from a similarly downtrodden franchise to enjoy. But until next time, for Alex Wolf, I'm Gavin Shaw. This was Locked On Knicks. Peace out.